My name is Mark Beatty, Editor-in-Chief of Frontline Gastroenterology. In this podcast, I'd like to highlight some of the content from the July edition of the journal. The first article I'd like to cover relates to gastrointestinal endoscopy during COVID-19, when less is more. It's certainly the case that the last few months have been very challenging. The country has been locked down as a consequence of COVID-19 with a significant impact on the delivery of services for non-COVID disease, including endoscopy. In an insightful commentary in this issue, Catherine Edwards, President of the British Society of Gastroenterology and colleagues, discussed the need for an achievement of UK-wide consensus on how best to proceed. Most endoscopy has been paused with a rapid fall-off in procedures done. This pause was necessary and the least damaging approach at the height of the crisis when there was and still is so much uncertainty about what will happen next during this now worldwide pandemic. The paper includes live links that will be updated as the evidence develops around issues like the potential for faecal-oral transmission, the best personal protective equipment strategy, antigen and antibody testing. It's crucial that we get it right for patients, firstly, to minimise the secondary morbidity from non-COVID disease, but also to ensure patients and staff are safe as services resume during what is likely to be a very prolonged recovery period. The second article I'd like to highlight relates to the successful implementation of remote video consultations for patients receiving home parental nutrition. This has become a top priority as a consequence of the service restraints that have occurred with the COVID-19 lockdown. This practice change does represent a potentially exciting service development opportunity. In this issue, Courtier and colleagues report the successful implementation of remote video consultations for patients requiring home parental nutrition in one of the national centres. The work predates the COVID-19 pandemic, with implementation starting back in 2015. The calls were by Skype, 25 patients, 105 contacts and included psychology follow-up as well as medical assessment. This is a small pilot study, but clinicians felt that consultations were mostly successful and patient satisfaction was high with a mean satisfaction score of 85%, 63% achieving greater than 90% on a visual analogue score. Interestingly, the admissions were lower in the home parental nutrition cohort if the families were followed up by video, 8% as opposed to 24%, although that obviously might well have reflected patient selection. The cumulative mileage saved was massive. So this is something I think we'll hear about and see things written about a great deal in the coming months. This change in practice, which in some instances might deliver effective and safe care when combined with face-to-face reviews and appropriate and easy access to investigations and inpatient management. 
I've made this editor's choice this month. The third article is non-COVID. It relates to alcohol care teams and really where are we now. It's a very interesting summary of what's happened over the last 10 or so years. So the high morbidity and mortality from alcohol consumption is well known. And developing strategies to impact on this are part of the 2019 NHS long-term plan for England and the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. The practicalities of implementation are less straightforward. And in this issue, Kieran Moriarty discusses the background, components of and evidence base for alcohol care teams. These have been set up as part of acute services over the last 10 to 15 years, although not yet universally. Key components include a clinician-led multidisciplinary team with integrated alcohol treatment pathways across primary, secondary and community care, with coordinated alcohol policies for emergency departments and acute medical units, a seven-day alcohol specialist nursing services, addiction and liaison psychiatry services, and an alcohol assertive outreach team working in conjunction with hepatologists and gastroenterologists with expertise in the management of the complications of alcohol on the gut and liver. All this in a multidisciplinary, patient-centred, collaborative setup. The components are discussed in detail, and in fact the paper, which is essential reading, will help clinicians and policymakers achieve progress in controlling the global issue of alcohol use and the consequences of it on well-being and long-term health. It's really a template for action and where alcohol care teams don't exist, this is a useful document to support their development and implementation. The fourth article I'd like to highlight is the British Society of Gastroenterology-led multi-society consensus care bundle for the early clinical management of acute upper gastrointestinal bleeding. This is a major piece of work. There's absolutely no doubt that medical care bundles improve standards of care and clinical outcomes. The best impact is likely to be seen in conditions where there's significant variation in management. And so in this issue we publish the British Society of Gastroenterology-led multi-society consensus care bundle which details the key interventions to be performed within 24 hours of presentation with acute gastrointestinal bleeding. The document was achieved after extensive literature review and a modified Delphi consensus with key stakeholders. The paper includes key recommendations, that's 19, and 14 care bundle items across six important management domains, recognition, resuscitation, risk assessment, treatment, referral patterns, review. And all of this is justified in the accompanying text. The paper is essential reading, especially during the current coronavirus pandemic, when the priority is to keep our patients safe, but also to reduce secondary harm in non-COVID patients who are at risk as a consequence of the necessary restrictions on endoscopy services. Longer term, this excellent piece of work will undoubtedly give us the potential, 
using evidence and consensus to improve the quality of care and outcomes of patients with acute upper gastrointestinal bleeding. Just a few final comments in these uncertain times. There is a need to rapidly publish the best evidence to inform public health decisions and clinical practice. And it is important that that evidence isn't over-interpreted. And it is a time when there are many, many, many consensus statements and guidance and opinion which is widely circulated in the media and in the academic literature. So we've tried our best to get key articles on COVID-19 through the editorial process quickly and made them free to access and there are a number in this edition. We've also included an evidence summary which I hope is helpful and we will continue to publish articles relevant to our clinical practice on COVID-19 and the many other conditions we deal with. I've been indebted during this epidemic for the continued enthusiasm and support of authors, reviewers, editors and readers and I would like to wish them all well and encourage everyone to continue accessing the journal, look at the content online, follow us on Twitter and send us your best work. Keep safe and stay well. My name's Mark Beattie, Editor-in-Chief of Frontline Gastroenterology. Thanks for listening. Music